This is a series specially for those who are relocating as family people, individuals and the family. And this is just to make sure that we do not face the regular challenge that we do face when we are relocating. Yes, we are speaking from the United States, especially in the land cost across, whether you are moving from nation to nation, you are moving from city to city, or even you are moving within a locality. So we welcome you today as we begin this uh, family series on relocation. Thank you for joining us today on our Dwell in the Land podcast. My name is Rob Potusi. We started to speak about family relocating, either from nation to nation, from state to state, from city to city, even sometimes in the same locality. What is expected? What are the experiences? And today we continue again as we look uh, primarily on someone who relocated because uh, he wanted to get more education. Uh, we have someone specifically here who actually came to the United States because he wanted to have a PhD. He wanted to study for a PhD. So I will uh, invite him right now. We are really blessed to have him with such a busy schedule, busy in school. You are welcome as you introduce yourself, sir. Uh, hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, good afternoon, listeners. Um, good afternoon, Pastor. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for um, inviting me. Um, my name is Olamide, um, Olamide Olajunwo Ige, um, and uh, currently, right now, I'm a doctoral candidate um, and in the marketing department at the University of Texas at Arlington. So basically, what being a doctoral candidate means, it means I've defended my dissertation or dissertation proposal rather I've defended my dissertation proposal and I only need to defend my dissertation now in order to receive my doctoral degree wow what a great achievement congratulations you're almost there almost there yes sir thank you sir now you came from Africa after your master's degree I guess um actually so I actually came originally for my master's Actually, right. yes. So I I did my master's degree here in the United States. I have a master's degree in marketing as well from the University of Tampa, Florida. Now you are the man we'll be looking for. So you have experience <laughs> in, in master's. So people who have their first degree, they want yes. to come for their master's. Tell yes. us what's the difference of people who are listening. They want to come for their master's degree, or uh, they want to come for a PhD, or maybe. Mm-hmm. Somebody is saying after high school, I want to come for a bachelor's degree. Can you yeah. just take us on these three journeys? Hmm. So um, I'll, I would speak firstly about the two that I'm most familiar with. You know, that is coming. You, you have your undergrad degree from Nigeria and you want to come here for your master's or um, you have your master's already and you want to come for your PhD. I can speak a little bit about that um, or a little bit more about that. For those who you know, I've finished high school and I want to come to the U.S. for their undergrad degree. I'll touch on that a little bit based on the little I know. But um, if you want to come for your master's, of course, you need to have your first degree. Um, And uh, there's actually a lot of steps to it. Think about now, because first of all, there is the equivalence in the degrees, you know, from Nigeria to here. So you have to do what is called like... um, uh, they have to transcribe your degree from the 
you know, the way we use it in Nigeria, for example, Nigeria uses a 5.0 GPA scale. Typically, okay. um, we use a 4.0 GPA scale here in the state. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, so your degree has to be converted to the skill used here in the United States so that they can compare your degree with, you know, and assess your performance, you know, in a way they can understand um, here in the United States. Um, typically as well, you would have to write some exams to prove that you have a good grasp of the English language, although more and more schools now, based on the excellent performance of most Nigerian um, immigrant students, they are waiving that requirement now because they see that our English is actually fantastic. You hear that and I hope those who are listening to us will see that as an advantage. Yes, it's definitely an advantage. And then um, depending on what, um, you know, course you want to study, if you, whether in the sciences or in the businesses, you you would have to write either the GRE exam or the GMAT. Um, so based on your performance on that exam and in combination with how well you did in your undergraduate um, degree, all of that would determine if that if a school here in the United States would offer you admission into their master's program. Um, typically, they might have requirements as well about maybe what courses you should have taken for undergrad, you know, to be able to gain admission. For example, if you want to do a master's in computer science, then they want to see that you've taken some courses, you know, relating to that, you know. Um, for some other programs, the requirements might be a bit more flexible. There might not be much specifications in terms of courses that you need to have taken. Um, so that's it pretty much in a nutshell for the master's. For the PhD, typically what they want to see is that you have a master's degree in the field. Although also keep in mind that um, unlike most PhD programs in Europe, um, here in the United States, you don't actually need to have a master's degree to get admission into a PhD program. Because yeah, no. um, the PhD program in the United States typically is five years. Wow. And um, all you need to know that the... the the knowledge that you typically get in a master's level program is kind of embedded somewhat into the PhD program here. Although if it's, if it's a PhD, it's more from a theory perspective, not from a practice perspective, um, if you understand what I'm saying. So if you, if you have an undergrad degree and you know for a fact, for example, that you want to pursue a career in academia or um, a career path that requires you to have an advanced degree, if you're in Nigeria, you don't actually need to get a master's degree. Um, if you, you, know, you have a very good, you, know, you did very well on your undergrad degree, you have some research experience under your belt. So if that's something you're thinking about, you want to start trying to get some research experience under your belt, even as an undergrad. Um, and if you do very well on the entrance exam, you can actually get admission directly into the PhD program without having to do a master's degree. Thank you for sharing that knowledge. I believe a lot of people will benefit from that. Yes. So, yeah. So, um, but if you, if you have a master's degree as well, that's fine. Um, you just need to also, you know, apply to, you know, look for the program that you are interested in, apply, and um, you might still need to do the conversion of the degree, like I mentioned, for the undergrad degree as well. They will need to convert your degree as well to the 4.0 skill that is used here in the U.S. That's your master's degree now. And then again, in combination with that, your undergrad degree and um, your scores on the entrance exams, that's like the GRE or the GMAT again, um, you would be, you know, they would, they would decide whether to offer you admission um, into the program. Um, so that's it for those who want to do a PhD. For those who finished high school, I think you need to write the SAT. So the SAT is 
quote-unquote like the jam that we typically write in Nigeria in order to get admission into university. So there's an exam in Nigeria called JAM, Joint Admissions Matriculation Board Exam. Um, the equivalent of it kind of here in the United States is what is called the SAT. So you need to write the SAT exam. And I think typically uh, based on your performance on that exam, you know, you can get admission um, to... I think they would also look at your WIAC, you know, your WIAC, your West African Examination Council exam scores on your high school subjects. And in combination with that, they would offer you admission. But I'm not an expert on that. So that's the little I know um, about that. I, I had my first degree here in the United States. Uh, yes, sir. I think this might still be relevant to some of our listeners. Uh, mm. I didn't have to go to SAT, but I mm. did my WASC. Mm. Then I took a TOEFL. Yeah, tough, yes. was, but what I did was get into a two-year college. Okay, and that was because a two-year college was less expensive. Mm. Year college, so I came into a two-year college, and mm. from there I got transferred to the four-year college. So that was uh, as, as you know as as much as it was. Of course, they want to, they want you to show financial uh, capacity. Absolutely, to sponsor yourself, which was a yeah. was a big deal, and I think it's still a big deal. Yes, sir. So, so, but again, let me let me ask: uh, Having taken your first degree in Africa and coming to the United States for masters and PhD, yes, how do you compare the level of education? You know, when during our own time, they used to say American education is less, uh, you know, less in quality. You know, things like that. Oh wow! Uh, all those things, uh, you know, that's interesting. So, well, how do you compare them? Um, so um, I will answer the question from two perspectives, from the perspective of quality of education, and I hope I'm not preempting you, but I would also address the question from the perspective of, um, you know, like the differences in the education system, so to speak. So in terms of the quality of the education, I would say, first of all, Nigeria and you would see that most Nigerian students, you know, who are good students, you know, who come to the U.S. to study actually do very well. And I think that's um, evidence of the quality of the, to some extent, of the educational system in Nigeria. It has its issues. It's not perfect, but we receive a good education in Nigeria. And that puts us on a very sound footing um, when we come to the United States. But from the perspective of the environment, um, the thing is the education system in Nigeria is not how do I put it? It's not as supportive of your success. So this is what I mean. In the U.S. I know that, yeah. Yeah, in the U.S., it's rare that you would have maybe a, a professor who's, who doesn't just like you and want you to fail, right? It's rare that you would have that kind of situation, for example, but it's kind of a common experience sometimes for many people in, in, in Nigeria and Africa. Um, also, um, the system here, there's constant power. You have easy access to the internet, you know, things like that make it easy for you to have access to all the educational resources you need to, um, um, online sources of information that you need for your academic work. In Nigeria or in maybe parts of Africa, that's typically a challenge, right? So the system here is set up to help you succeed, mm -hmm. right? Um, compared to how in maybe Nigeria or in Africa, that might not necessarily always be um the case um and again maybe maybe our experience in nigeria forces us to be um 
to learn to work hard and to, you know, learn to go the extra mile. So maybe that makes it a little easier, you know, when we do come here and then we have everything at our fingertips. And maybe that also some also explains why Nigerian students typically tend to do well here because they've been grilled, so to speak, in the by the toughness of the Nigerian educational environment. What do you think is a typical challenge of, uh, um, you know, like a foreign student in America, someone yes, like when you came in, what were, were the challenges? Oh, wow. How, how, how did you overcome them? Wow. So that's, um, that's, that's an interesting question. There are many challenges that you typically face, you know, coming as an immigrant student from, you know, as an immigrant student coming to the United States. Um, based on my personal experience, um for one for example i would say that um nothing really prepares you to be um a black person in america like your experience in nigeria doesn't really prepare you to be a black person in in america so that i wouldn't say have for i wouldn't say i've experienced overt racism no i've not but this is what i mean you could be in a classroom where you're the only black person mm. and um you could be in a situation where you know maybe because of your accent your colleagues who are, you know, maybe maybe white don't maybe necessarily value your opinions because they're like, well, you're coming from Africa. What do you really know, mm. right? But you might actually have more knowledge than all of them, com con you know, about whatever it is that you might be talking about. So your accent, for example, might mark you out. Um, and, you know, it's just not, after a while you realize like being the only person that looks like you in certain spaces might not necessarily be very comfortable. So um, that's, that can be challenging. And it takes a while to get used to, to it. For example, I attended the research workshop in, at Baylor University in Waco, not far away from us here, um, this past weekend. I was the only Black person in the room. Of, I was the only Black male. You know, I had another Black lady, but we're pretty much the only Black people, at least on the student side, in a room of maybe 50, 60 people. So you need to get used to being very, very different from everybody else, not just in how you look, but even in how you sound compared to everybody else. That can be very challenging. Um, um, also, um, your self-concept as a person, who you think you are, gets challenged when you come into this environment. You know, the things you thought were an advantage for you, you know, can and that you have designed your idea of who you are as a person around can change very much when you come into this country. And that can be very challenging because it means you have to rethink who am I as mm. a person? This is what I mean. In Nigeria, I used to be that person that people perceived as, oh, your English is excellent compared to everybody <laughs> around you. <laughs> but when I came here, I was the African dude that talks weird. So, you know, the things that were, quote-unquote an advantage for me you know mm. in certain spaces in nigeria didn't count anymore here nobody even recognized any mm. of those things or you know being you were you were local champion i was yeah. local champion exactly so <laughs> and if you thought you were smart you know in nigeria you come into a room with everybody's just as smart as you are so that can be very challenging because you're like this is who i thought i was but i'm not that person so you you have to rethink who you are as a person, or if you if you come from a slightly privileged background in Nigeria, you mm. know, you come here and you realize like, hey, you know, you have to start all over again. If you're a person who's maybe used to having your own car in Nigeria, but you're coming here, you have to start all over again. 
you have to start taking Uber or walk, you know, even riding a bicycle like I had to. I went through all the stages. There was mm. the stage when I was walking, then I could afford a bicycle. I got a bicycle and, you know, to ride from my house to campus. And then eventually I got a car, you know, but coming from Nigeria, I was a little bit more comfortable. Mm. Then I, so all of those things challenge who you are as a person. I might, you know, force you to just redefine who you, who you are. And lastly, finance can be a bit of a challenge. Um, you, depending on, again, your background, where you're coming from in Nigeria, you might have much less, much less access to financial resources. And there's that constant pressure of worrying about, okay, how do I pay my bills? How do I pay my rent? And all of that. That, Maybe how do you pay your tuition also? You do, uh, yeah, how do you pay your tuition as well if you're paying those years, if you're paying that yourself? I was fortunate that my parents covered my tuition for me. Um, uh, but I had to cover all the rest of my bills by myself, and that was the agreement we had. So, um, yeah, that can, that can be very challenging and put some pressure on you. But those are some of the challenges. Do, do you think, I mean, people t- think uh, it's, it's easy to get a scholarship. What do you think about that? Um, actually, I would say if you have a very good, if you did very well in your master's or your undergrad in Nigeria and you, did, you do well on the GRE or the GMAT, it's quite easy. Most schools, that's another great thing about the educational environment. Yeah, they reward you for your achievements academically. Unlike in Nigeria where... I don't know anybody really, you know, reward you for that. But the system here is designed to constantly reward you for your academic excellence. Mm. So if you do well in your undergrad um, or in your master's degree, and you do well, even if you don't do as well, for example, in the GRE or the GMAT, typically most schools, if you're coming in for a master's degree, most schools will extend some form of scholarship to you. If you finish with a very strong 2-1, talking about the Nigerian context now or a first-class degree um, in Nigeria, most schools will offer you a full scholarship or a partial scholarship. And there are a lot of those scholarships. They Most schools have tons and tons of them, but they only want to give them to people that they feel are deserving. So from that perspective, I would say that Scholarships are quite plentiful, especially at the master's level and even more so at the PhD level. You know, there's way much more funding even available at the PhD level. Um, so scholarships are plentiful. I'll put it that way. But it's a function of how well you did in your bachelor's degree or your master's degree and um, the required exams for you to come into the program. And let me ask you if you, if, if, if you are starting all over again with what you know about America. Yes, sir. Just about to come for your master's. PhD program, what will you do differently? Uh, so it's one of the things I just mentioned. I would definitely look for a scholarship. Um, like I mentioned earlier, my parents had to pay for my master's degree tuition, pretty much all of it out of pocket. And when I look back now, I'm like, nah, I wish I hadn't put that burden on them because I had friends who we came into the master's program together. And I mean, well, to be honest, to be transparent as well, they had they had much better um undergrad degrees than me at least two of them were first class students they finished with first class degrees i didn't finish with a first class degree but they got full full scholarships but i feel that if i had searched a little bit more or you know maybe not go to the school i ended up going maybe searched at a different school or something like that i would have found even even if not a full scholarship or partial scholarship because there are a lot of them so i think that's something i would have done um differently um coming coming to the united states um let me just refer to my notes here um 
I think one thing I would have also done with from the perspective of getting into the PhD program. So thank God the PhD program I am in now is fully funded, you know, all everything paid for and they even pay me a stipend as well. Um, but what I would have tried to do is I would have tried to get into a higher rank program. Mm -hmm. So programs are often ranked in terms of their quality, in terms of their excellence and things like that. Um, I'm a I'm a PhD student in the College of Business. And what I would have tried to do differently if I was going to apply for a PhD again is to try to get into a higher ranked PhD program, maybe um, at a, you know, higher ranked university. And what that typically does is that it, it enhances your job prospects after you graduate from the PhD program. Um, and typically actually also, they actually have more money. The higher ranked universities have more money. So you get a higher stipend and things like that. So, so let's look at it. Uh, when people don't are not sure whether you're able to work while you're in school, what's your, what's your take on that? Um, so I'll, I'll speak from my perspective as an immigrant, and I'm still very much an immigrant now. Um, you can actually work while you're in school, but it's just that within the context of the laws in the U.S., there, there's a limit to where you can work and how much you can work, um, at least legally speaking. So... Um, um, as a master's student or even as a PhD student. Okay, let me speak about being a master's student first. Typically, um, as a master's level student or as an international student in the US, you can work for 20 hours per week on the campus of the school. So it has to be within the campus of the school and you can work 20 hours a week. And typically you get paid close to the minimum wage, which I think is about $9 per hour. I don't know if it's INL or a little more than that, depending on the job. So you can work 20 hours a week. And I mean, as a master's student, um, I don't, I'm not bragging or anything. I'm just trying to show you that it can be enough. I survived on that. You know, I was able to afford a small room for myself and cover some of my basic expenses. So I survived, you know, on what I was making, working just 20 hours a week on campus. Um, so it's not much, it's very little, but you can get by. Um, on that and that's the kind of work you can do now at the phd level it gets better so it gets better in the sense that you're still limited to working 20 hours per week but typically what happens is that the department that you're joining would hire you as a graduate teaching assistant and they pay you a stipend and the stipend is usually significant um, on average most programs will pay you between $2,000 to $3,000 a month as your stipend, um, um, as, your, as your monthly stipend. And that's pretty decent money. It's not, again, fantastic money, but it's enough for you to be okay. And then in the summer, you, you can work 40 hours a week, um, but it has to be in the context of an internship or, again, within um, a place um, that is on campus so you can work 40 hours a week you know and you get to make a decent amount of money if you get a good internship um you know or or a decent job on campus typically the internships pay more as high as 25 or more dollars per hour do you think uh, uh coming to school in america in a place like america is worth it oh no absolutely i have no regrets whatsoever whatsoever um i think it's one of the best decisions that i made um in my life and um i thank god for the journey it's definitely worth it um, um i mean the objectively speaking the there can be the the quality of the educational system in america can be debated but what can't be debated is that typically a degree from the u.s is perceived as very 
prestigious, at least in most countries around the world. Um, and that perception would always work in your favor. So getting a degree, whether a master's degree or a PhD degree um, from a university in the United States, especially a well-ranked, well-known university, can open a lot of doors for you all over the world, not just in the United States alone. It literally opens up the entire world um, to you. And um, also the fact that the U.S. is a is a melting pot of people from all over the world. So you get to get the taste of the entire world coming to the U.S. And from the PhD perspective, getting a PhD actually helps you because I know one of the challenge many one of the challenges many immigrants have coming to the U.S. is being able to stay after they finish their education. And typically when you finish your PhD, it's quite easy for you to stay legally as an, you know, as an immigrant in the country, either through employment. So typically most, um, especially if you get employed by um, a school in academia, they can easily sponsor you for your green card, your H1B, your green card and all of that and help you stay um, in the country. Or you can even actually sponsor yourself as a PhD holder. If you're a PhD uh, older you have your PhD degree and you've published a few articles made some contributions to your field uh, there's a class of visa of green card visas called the natural national interest waiver I think I think it's called the EB category or something like that you can look into it you can actually sponsor yourself um, to stay in the country and the United States government will give you a green card to stay based on the on your expertise you know um, within within your field of knowledge that you know led to you receiving a phd degree so from all those perspectives it's it's definitely very beneficial so let me know how do you see the future okay. the future is the future is bright i'm excited about what the future holds my plan is to you know continue this journey and to go into academia um and like i said I'm a PhD degree from, you know, a good school in the U.S. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be at a good school. Um, typically would open open doors um, for you. So, you know, typically, for example, most people who finish a PhD degree, at least in marketing, everybody gets a job. You might not get a job, um, you know, in a city you want, but you get a job. And most jobs pay pretty well, you know. It might not be in, in the six-figure range from the get-go, but it's either very close or just about there about um and yeah you know you you get to enter spaces that you might not be able to you know but based on your academic achievement you you get to enter those rooms and those spaces and speak with those people god bless america what do you say about that for sure god bless america america is a it's an amazing country it's not perfect but it's a fantastic country and it's definitely a lovely country to be in we really do appreciate you and thank you so much for taking your time for contributing to this. And I believe that a lot of people who are going to listen to this discussion will benefit from it. They will not uh, make mistakes. Uh, they will be able to get it right and even do better than you have done. Yes, and this yes. The reason why Dwell in the Land podcast is very important. We will invite you again when it arrives. Thank you very much. Yeah. Just enjoy your day and enjoy the future. Yes, uh, will do. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure being here, sir. Sure. Thank you. Yes, sir.